to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my pleading die. Glory to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned me, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask for God's grace together as we come to his word. Lord, we must have your Holy Spirit, the spirit who has given us this word, that he would open up this word to our understanding. And Lord, uh, that your word would be applied to our hearts, uh, especially as it pertains to our worship. Lord, we pray, bless us that we more and more will lift up your holy name and name and enter into the joy of of that worship for Jesus' sake. Amen. <clears throat> uh, 
my wife showed me a, a little newspaper picture of it from, from Jacksboro, and there was this little girl with a helmet on clinging to a sheep, okay? So when you're three to five years old, you don't ride a big bull, but you ride a little sheep, and there's competition for riding the sheep, the bucking sheep, you know. Uh, what was kind of funny about it was it, it wasn't the Jacksboro daughter, Lila, who is kind of used to doing those things. It was the wild-haired one from Midland, uh, Harper, <clears throat> whom I quote so often. And it was comical in a way that here was little Harper because she wouldn't, she would never ever do that. And then I found out the backstory was that Lila had done it and Lila actually won a prize doing it. But when Harper saw the prize, she decided she was going to ride the sheep and they let her and that's when they took the picture. But, um, it just, I just can't imagine being there and watch this little girl clinging for dear life, you know, holding on to this sheep as it's going around. Oh, I wish I could have been there. Um, <laughs> heard some of the screams and comments and all of this. But it gave me an image uh, that I hope may be helpful to you as well. And uh, <clears throat> though a bit weird for sure, but uh, an image of us in worship or really us in the whole of our lives clinging to what you might call the bucking, fierce, glorious, beautiful majesty of God. And it's really easy to get bucked off that glory, to be distracted for anything but that glory, to have your eyes put and fixed upon anything but that glory. But if you can stay on, if you can cling to that what sometimes is a fierce glory, what inevitably will destroy your self-attention. It will ultimately attack your focus on yourself. It will ultimately set you free so that you are focused on God and others. And that is the scariest thing that you could ever face. But if you can cling to that bucking glory, then you will really be what a human being was made to be. And and you could say this, it's the only ride on earth. It is. And if you miss that ride, you've missed what earth is all about. You've missed what humanity is all about. Because humanity is about entering into, enjoying, feeding off of, dependent upon experiencing, encountering, knowing, tasting the greatness of God in everything we do. Well, I say that because I want to counterbalance this uh, kind of fussy uh, academic sound, a collection of issues surrounding worship. Oh boy, that sounds like fun. But I want to give this vision of the glory of God, hopefully, as, uh, as what we're after in this. But historically, in the past several decades, the church has been uh, riven again and again by divisions over worship and music, right? 
kind of a cultural war within the church. And I thought it would be very good for us to talk about what's our kind of working philosophy as a church concerning worship. But I don't want it to just descend into the practical without this vision of what we're really about is the worship of the living God. It's holding on to that fierce glory of God and and clinging to it and living that out in our lives. So I want to talk about several issues uh, in regard to hymns and and music, uh, content and music, and then try to make some practical applications on top of that. But it's all kind of in the practical vein. The first thing I want to talk about is the priority of the word in our worship, okay? And then I want to talk about the importance of music in our worship, but then in a third place, the impermanence of music in our worship, okay? So the priority of the word and then the importance of music, but also the impermanence of music. if, if I wasn't going for the P's, I'd probably say the flexibility of music, okay? Uh, but, but I'm going to stick to my P's, so there we go. Um, so the, the priority of the word. You get this in these texts by two particular phrases. In chapter 29, verse 2, we read this, Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name, Okay? And then in chapter 30, verse 4, we have a similar, though it's based on a different Hebrew, but it it basically means the same thing. You'll read in the bottom of the ESV a memorial of his holiness, but it's translated in the ESV in verse 4. Give praises to the Lord, you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Now, in Scripture, the, the word name in these kinds of contexts means all that God is and all that God has revealed himself uh, to be for us. In other words, all that he is and all that he does and that shining forth so that we recognize it or see it, that the revelation of all that he is and all that he does, that's what his name is. And so when we're told to give glory due his name, we're told give glory due in line with, in accordance with, founded upon, in response to his revelation of himself. Okay, Give glory that lines up with that revelation of himself. In other words, give glory due his name who he really is, what he has really done for us. The outshining of all his greatness. So let us glorify him in keeping with all the outshining of his greatness and majesty and goodness to us. So it brings along the point that we cannot know God on our own because he is infinitely above us. We will not know God unless he makes himself known to us and unless he shows himself to us. And he's done this in what we call general revelation, that is creation itself. As Psalm 19 you can read and Romans 1 talks about how God's glory is manifested in creation. So God truly has spoken to us and revealed himself in this general revelation, creation. 
And, and I would couple with that uh, culture as this is part of God's creation, the creation of mankind that makes culture. But then also there's what we call special revelation, and that is the, the Bible, the, the Word of God. So in general revelation and special revelation, he has revealed himself, and we're to worship him as he has revealed himself to us, not making up ideas about God. We receive his revelation of himself and worship him in accordance with that revelation, giving him, giving him glory due his name giving thanks to his holy name, as it's said in these two passages. And each of these passages uh, is a revelation of that greatness, isn't it? In chapter 29, it's basically a statement of the absolute sovereignty God has over every aspect of his creation. And therefore, he's the one able to give strength to his people, able to bless his people with peace, because nothing can stop him. Is the absolute power of the universe. And he, uh, he, he speaks and things happen. The, the wilderness is stripped down. You know, mountains are moved. Rivers burst forth. Because he's absolute. It's a poetic, creative way to say he has absolute power. Therefore, he can bless his people. Then, so his name is revealed in that way as the great, powerful God. And then chapter 30, his name is revealed as the merciful God who rescues us and, and, and heals our brokenness and brings us out of the pit of despair and destruction and restores us to himself. So in both of these passages, there are these aspects of God's glory shown forth and we're to worship him in keeping with that name. So... A little bit of our working philosophy in regard to psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, as Paul describes them in Ephesians and Colossians. Uh, we emphasize the excellence and accuracy of the biblical content in our worship. We, we call it our theology, theology of the study of God or the revelation of God. This obviously will be our number one priority that cannot and must not be compromised. Why? Because we want to worship him according to his name, right? We don't just make up ideas about God. Well, I think this would be nice. I think that, no, it's what he has declared himself to be that we, and we must worship him accordingly. So truth is foundational to our singing. We're not worshiping, uh, we, we worship, we want to worship who he is, not what we think he is. We want to worship the true God who's revealed himself to us, not a God of our own making, not an idol fabricated out of my own heart. So truth is essential. And it's not only a matter of accuracy or faithfulness to who he is. It really is a matter of our true joy and exhilaration over the true God. We think people will most rejoice over God when they most know what he really is, you see. So it's not just well, we want to dot our I's and cross our T's. No, we want to maximize people's joy in God because there's nothing greater than knowing what he really is and what he's really done. You can't go higher than that. Your imagination is blown apart even trying to grasp how great the true God is. 
And this brings me back to a, a discussion I had with the worship committee, not one here, okay, uh, a, f- a former situation somewhere in a worship committee. And these two fellows who had been influenced by some other uh, more contemporary traditions perhaps were giving me their philosophy of, of hymn singing. And it went something like this. Well, we just don't think that the hymns or songs that we sing should have much content at all. That, oh, really? You don't? No, no, we don't. Because what we think is that it's a time to get people's emotions going. It's a time to get their hearts stirred up. And we get the clay soft and warm. And then the preaching comes along, and that's where you stamp the content into it. That was their view of, of him singing. Uh, first, of course, that's not at all. Just reading these two psalms tells you that's not what is in the psalms. And there are 150 of those guys, you know, in there. And, and it's full of rich theology through and through. Um, but, of course, the question would arise, less content begins to ask the question, well, of whom are we singing then? You know, if we want to say less and less and less about God, then who or what are we singing about and why are we singing for him? You know, is this just an exercise in mindless uh, emotion Fill in the blanks with whatever you want just so long as you're feeling something by the time the sermon comes along. And, of course, you would assume then when the content of the sermon comes along, based on that philosophy, where we're not really not going to be emotional now because we've got a lot of content in the sermon, you know. But, of course, our view is the rich content as we have sung such rich, wonderful hymns thus far this morning, even wed to new music in, well, I guess, every case that's so far this morning, except the doxology itself. But the, the theology, the rich content, uh, declaring God's works, declaring God's salvation, we believe this is the very means by which we enter into the joy of uh, worshiping God. So that content is essential for our joy, not... Uh, uh, not at all superfluous. And C.S. Lewis talks about this in terms of our praise. You know, he for some time uh, had a trouble with the idea of praising God or why God would demand praise because it seems so full of himself for God to say, I want you to focus on me and praise me. And it even seemed like he was trying to get something from us that he needed or whatever. But uh, he began to understand it very differently as he uh, talks about in his book, uh, The Problem of Praise in the Psalms. It's in the book Reflection on the Psalms, and this is in his article, The Problem of Praise in the Psalms. And he began to realize that people praise things because, he says, it's the spontaneous overflowing of their joy in those things. He said, unless they're hindered by shyness or fear of boring others, etc., he says, the world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses like Romeo and Juliet and vice versa. Readers praise their favorite poet. Walkers praising the countryside. 
players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. He says, and this is a great phrase, he says, praise almost seems to be the inner health made audible. The inner health made audible. In other words, our joy, our delight in God made audible. The inner health of an admiration for God, of a true awe and wonder in God bursting forth and being made audible. So that in his famous phrase, he says, praise not only expresses our enjoyment of God, but it's the consummation of our enjoyment in God. And in that sense, we can't help but worship God. We, we can't help but praise him because of what we know of him. And the more we know of him, you say, the more content <laughs> the more of the revelation, the more of his name is revealed to us in creation and in general creation and special creation, the the word, the more we must express praise to him. So this is why the priority of the word in our singing and why we don't think it stands in the way of our emotion so that we're going to get away from content so that we can have more emotion. But no, it's the very basis for our emotion. It's the very reason we are so uh, fired up, if we could say, as one of my youth directors used to say, get fired up. Um, We get fired up over the worship of God because of what we know about God. But this doesn't take away, does it, from the importance of of music. So we not only want excellent theology and and excellent biblical content, but of course we'd want excellent and what we'd say appropriate music to express that theology. But the one drives the other. The reason for the music is the knowledge of God. We must praise him because of what we know about him. And so while our music is gospel-driven, and we wouldn't say like just music-driven, or our worship is gospel-driven, not music-driven, It doesn't take away from the music, but rather it underscores the importance of music because the music that we use in our psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is not simply emotional. It's not simply empty filler, fill in the blanks with whatever gibberish you want to say, but gibberish, but it is connected to his name. It is connected to his revelation of himself. It flows from the revelation of himself. It's an expression of the revelation of himself, of our love and adoration of God. So I think it raises the importance of music. It doesn't diminish its importance. It shows how critical music is as an expression of this love and adoration that we have of God. But as important as it is, we must realize also the impermanent nature of that music or the flexibility of that music. And I think a united front focusing on theology allows music in another way to be set free and it allows all of us to be set free somewhat and flexible in the use and the kinds of music we use. Because so often in churches... 
Sad to say, it's not the content of the gospel that's the fight. In, in many churches, they don't really care what you say. They care how you sing it. You know, it's, it's the sound of the music that becomes the emphasis in the church. It's whether we're going to do traditional hymns or contemporary songs. It's, are we going to use an organ or are we going to use a guitar? Or if we use an organ, is it going to be a pipe organ or is it going to be a Hammond B3 like Junior Walker, or the Rascals, or Steppenwolf used? You know, <laughs> that dates me, I know. Okay. <laughs> so the question, those can be the questions that tear people apart, you know. And I've seen this in a former church as well when the, uh, we're redoing the church, a major renovation of the church. You know what the biggest conflict that occurred in the renovation was what color was the foyer going to be? There you go. (laughs) And that's kind of like this, getting focused on the wrong thing rather than have a united front on the rich theology and biblical content that we want. So we want music that is excellent and varied and rich and that appropriately expresses our prayers and praises to God. But the music itself can be quite flexible. So with no budge on our biblical content, uh, there can and should be an openness to music, I think. And that means me as well as you, okay? So that I'm open to sing things that I probably wouldn't prefer. But I know others do prefer it. And it might not speak as much musically to my heart, but I know it speaks to others. And so... I want them to enjoy that as well. And we have to all realize there's so many musical influences that we each bring with us. There are historical things and cultural things and family things, personal things, even our nationality and, of course, our society, even our race brings things to us, you see. And we each have different likes and dislikes and different influences that we're bringing to the table, different leanings musically that we bring to the table. And I think our use of music gives us an opportunity to be submissive to one another in this area, to give away to each other's direction in ways. It's a way for older members to think about younger members and younger members to think about older members. Uh, and I would say this because this has been some recent discussion in our, uh, among our officers, but it, it really involves the question of if we do begin to minister to our immediate community, if we do begin to minister to our departments and just drive, draw a mile circle around us or a five-mile circle and we think how many African Americans and how many Hispanics are in that area in addition to uh, – Caucasian. What does that mean if we begin to have more and more different people in here? How will that affect the music? And I would hope that we all will take that submissive, humble servant approach and say, the music's not in the end the last critical thing. The critical thing is that we're saying truth about God, that we're worshiping him in rich content. And so uh, I personally have tremendously appreciated Jacob's approach. And you know how Jacob regularly weaves. Now I can talk about him since he's not here today. But uh, uh, 
and it will all be good, I assure you, but how uh, Jacob weaves uh, traditional with more contemporary. Uh, he not only does what we call RUF music, which is our own uh, our own ministry on the campus that are they're producing so much good music that we've used this morning, for instance, but he also, you might say, mines the contemporary scene and looks for the best theology in other uh, traditions, uh, evangelical traditions, and try to bring those in, knowing that we probably have some visitors that have no idea of RUF music. It's as new to them as would be a traditional hymn. But some of these other songs are familiar to them. You see, that's an act of wisdom, I think. And it's a way to say we don't want to compromise the truth, but we, don't, we, we want to include people as much as possible. And, of course, on occasion we've had uh, gospel music, classical music, folk music, different kinds of music. And I think, personally, that's a good thing. But I just want you to realize what we think the core is and where this kind of flexible outer uh, part is in regard to our our worship. Um, But in all of this, of course, this gift of music is for the expression, the entering into the name of God. If we take away that revelation of him, then our music in worship basically has lost its purpose. With no content or a false content, then hymnology can only then be a vehicle for heresy or at best distraction and even can become idolatry, even can become an abomination if it is not focused on giving the true God his true glory. Now, a couple of things uh, that I want to say in closing application, three C's, okay? First, let's comply with the variety that is in the scriptures themselves. <clears throat> so there in scripture is a interplay of very content and repetition because some of us might be on a kind of a high holy horse and say, well, I just don't think anybody should just repeat a phrase over and over and over in worship, you know. And I kind of imagine some seraphim saying, what did you say? (laughs) You know, (laughs) (laughs) ye, sorry. Um, Because we read in Isaiah 6 uh, that they are declaring the the, the seraphim that have six wings, two with two they cover their face, two they cover their feet, with two they fly about in kind of a a nervous uh, adoration and awe of God, crying out, holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, the whole earth is full of your glory. Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. Holy, holy, holy. Okay. Then we read in Revelation 4 of the four creatures that are right before the throne of God. And it says that they sing day and night and they never cease. And they sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is, who was, and is, and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. So, we read, for instance, in Psalm 136, 
26 times, it says, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, each one of those 26 times is preceded by something different in each verse. But then that repetition occurs. And I would say for most of us, when we read that psalm, we get a little tired of it. I would say maybe God likes courses more than some of you do. <laughs> Just saying, okay? It could be a possibility. So my point is this, that there is rich and varied content and there is healthy repetition at times in Scripture. And they're both worship. What we don't want, of course, is a constant barrage of simple-minded courses where nobody's even concerned about what they're singing. They're just excited about, I'm singing, I'm singing, I'm singing. I don't care what I'm singing, but I'm singing! (laughs) You know, that kind of idea. That's what we're against. Vain repetition. But, for instance, we encourage things like this. You take a phrase like 1 Peter 5, 7. And we would say, you know, you could have a devotion just on that verse, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Just want you to think about that for 10 or 15 minutes tomorrow morning. So you get out your Bible, you read that phrase, you read it in its context a little bit, and then, as the navigators say, you start emphasizing different words, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Wow, all my cares. Casting all your cares, your concern, your worry, your but because he cares for you. You know, you start meditating and juicing that phrase, gnawing on it and and getting all the nourishment from it. And you could sit and do that for ten or fifteen minutes and you're just in eleven words. Eleven words, and you're just focused on it. So we think there's a time. For instance, here's an idea. We can sing Holy, 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 Lord God. And, say, and that's got a lot of content in it. Then maybe we'd follow with a chorus that just says the word holy a lot of times. And we think about what his holiness means. We think about what it means to be holy like him. We think about his goodness and his purity, his delight in good things, this holy God. And so this would not be that different, would it, from what's going on in heaven right now as they are focused on his holiness. And we say, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Another aspect of this wholeness or complete, uh, well, let let me just, i tell you what I'm going to do because our time is uh, about up. I want to give an illustration, and we'll talk about, I have the word comply, but then I also have a word I want to talk about, concentrate. How do we concentrate in worship? And then how do we cultivate uh, our glory to God? But here's an example, perhaps it can be for you. Uh, And then I want to say just a word to fathers before uh, we leave. This was a song I really wasn't familiar with until my first uh, year I took out from seminary and worked at Independent Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. John Sartell uh, was the pastor, and this was one of his favorite songs from childhood. And it's an example of maybe culturally something you might not be wild about, but theologically has some great things to say about it. And his wife, Janet, was a singer, and we used to sing this in harmony just in their living room. 
But it's the song, Victory in Jesus. Okay? Uh, you may know it. I heard an old, old story how our Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save someone like me. Uh, another verse, I heard about his healing of his cleansing power, revealing how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And Jesus came and brought to me the victory. But then the chorus, which I'll sing a little bit slower, it's a pretty lively tune. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him. There's the sovereignty of God, right? Said in a brief, beautiful way. He loved me ere I knew him. Here you go. And all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Some of you know that one too, don't you? Well, there's a song that actually I've grown to like the little melody, but it might not be in a style. But I'd be happy to do that song. I'd be happy to do any song that would say those kinds of things about Jesus, right? And just a final word to fathers. I think one of the greatest gifts, and I was going to enlarge on this some, but one of the greatest gifts you can give your children, fathers, is a happiness in God, a happiness in Christ. I'm going to read a little section from John Piper. Can you imagine what it would be like if the God who ruled the world were not happy? What if God were given to grumbling and pouting and depression like some jack in the beanstalk giant in the sky? What if God were frustrated and despondent and gloomy and dismal and discontented and dejected? Could we join David and say, oh, God, you're my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. I don't think so. We would all relate to God like little children who have a frustrated, gloomy, dismal, discontented father. They can't enjoy him. They can only try not to bother him and maybe try to work for him to earn some little favor. Therefore, if God is not a happy God, Christian hedonism, that is, taking pleasure in God, has no foundation. For the aim of the Christian hedonist is to be happy in God, to delight in God, to cherish and enjoy his fellowship and favor. But children cannot enjoy the fellowship of their father if he's unhappy. Therefore, the foundation of Christian hedonism is the happiness of God. And I would suggest that that's the greatest gift you can give to your children is the happiness that you have in glorifying God. Your joy in him. This will turn you more and more to be gracious and kind and patient and interested, to be initiating in their lives, to be a listener, to be merciful, to be warm, to be expressive, to be God-like. Psalm 115 says that when we worship idols, we become like them. They don't feel anything. They don't know anything. We become deadened. We become spiritual lepers. But when we worship the true God and enjoy his glory, we become like him. 
alive and gracious and wonderful to our children, for instance. So, a little word to fathers on Father's Day. Enjoy God that you might truly enjoy your children and that they could take joy in you (laughs) and because of that to take joy in your God. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would give us grace to speak the truth about you in all of our worship, to glorify your great name, how you've revealed yourself to us as the great God. Oh, Lord, may we shout that back to you. May our praise be the echo of your glory shown forth in creation and in the word of God, in the person especially of Jesus Christ, who is the full expression of God. Oh, Lord. May we worship you according to your name in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain. Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?